What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by three awesome Bitcoin companies. The first is Shift Crypto, makers of the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet. If you're new to Bitcoin, this is an excellent wallet to get you started. It's very easy to set up, very easy to use. And if you're a bit more experienced, it has a lot of awesome features that I think you'll be impressed by. If you'd like to learn more, go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapidfire for 5% off. And until December 26th, when you order a Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet, you get the little Bitcoin book and a personalized Christmas card for free. So if you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift for that person you've been trying to orange pill, check them out. Next up is the Bitcoin 2022 conference. The 2021 conference was nuts. Such a great experience. I met so many people, developed so many really good relationships. Didn't spend much time uh, listening to the speakers, but uh, hung out a lot in the grounds, met so many plebs, uh, talked about Bitcoin, connected with so many people. It's just an amazing experience. Lots of great parties, lots of great memories that I'll cherish for uh, the rest of my life. So if you've been hanging on the sidelines and you want to meet some more Bitcoiners, this is probably the best place to do it. So go to their website, use the code RAPIDFIRE at checkout and get yourself 10% off any ticket you choose to buy. And finally, Bull Bitcoin. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, this is the way to do it. Bull Bitcoin is a non-custodial exchange, which means as soon as you buy your Bitcoin, they send it to you, hopefully your cold storage. They don't hang on to it, which means it's less susceptible to uh, loss and theft and anything else that happens when the coins are not in your control. Also, today, the launch of BitcoinSupport.com. If you're looking for support on how to set up Bitcoin properly, so how to buy and then also store and custody your Bitcoin properly, this site is for you. But perhaps more importantly, if there's people in your life that you have been orange pilling, but you don't want to hold their hand and go through the process of setting things up for them, send them to BitcoinSupport.com and they'll take care of everything. I know I'm going to use this a ton because, of course, I talk to people about Bitcoin all the time. And the first question is, how do I do it? How do I get it set up? And that's what BitcoinSupport.com is for. The website is live and it's ready to roll so you can start sending your normie friends and your family members there now. That's it. Enjoy the show. Let's do it. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up, John? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I, uh, like I told you in our messages, I've been watching, you know, we all lurk on Twitter and we, we get a feel for, for people through the, the things that they write and say and share and stuff like that. And uh, I've been digging uh, your perspective on stuff. So I thought it made sense to just come on for a chat. Yeah. I mean, you're one of my favorite podcasters. I like how you, you know, you get deep into the philosophy and the meaning of truth and life and everything that, you know, we've come to understand and how Bitcoin has changed us. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in particular what, uh, you know, what in my content and what in my message you found interesting. I guess it was that man. I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm extremely fascinated by the phenomenon, you know, everyone has heard the, the term, you know, you don't change Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you, but you know, there's a lot of truth in that. It seems it's not just kind of a trite uh, way of articulating how Bitcoin is incorruptible or immutable. It's like the other side of that the equation is what it seems to have a lot of depth, you know, and I, I see your commentary on the clown world right now. And I see what you're doing, um, to make yourself more resilient and the things that you're focusing on and the, the practices and stuff like that. And I just thought like, 
well, this seems like a person who's taking it to heart, you know, who's actually <clears throat> those things that Bitcoin makes us, the, the ways in which it changes our perspectives and bestows clarity upon us, like that's all well and good, but it's relatively moot unless you actually are compelled into action and implement those things and then allow those actions to serve as a basis for further discovery. And that's certainly been what, you know, I, I was going to say what I've tried to do, but like, again, it's more of a compulsion. And I think that's one of the, that may be one of the hallmarks of, of encountering truth is that, you know, it kind of overrides belief to such a degree that it compels behavior, you know, which is great because if you can encounter a truth that is both true and beneficial and be compelled by it, you know, I guess one of the things that always, uh, when I was younger, you know, I'd always been involved in fitness and health and, and that kind of stuff. And because I was a fat kid when I was like 13 or 14 and, you know, love cookies and candy and pizza and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted, to, <laughs> I actually wanted a camping lighter. <clears throat> and I, I made a bet with my dad that I wouldn't eat cookies for a month, you know, and he'd get me this light, you know, this lighter that was good in the wind and the rain and upside down and all that stuff. And uh, anyways, I lost like 15 pounds. I think I was like near 200 pounds when I was 14 or something. And I was always kind of tall, so I wasn't a ginormous fatso, but I was definitely overweight. And uh, anyways, I lost 15 pounds in the month and I thought like, wow, fuck the lighter. This is, this is dope, you know, <laughs> like veins <laughs> starting to emerge on my hand, you know, where there was just like a chubby, you know, chubby hand before. So anyways, but, you know, as you go through that, you, you have to deploy a lot of willpower, right, to eat right and to make sure you exercise and that kind of stuff. And I just found at a certain point that to be unsustainable. I was like, well, this is just going to be exhausting and maybe even not exhausting, but you it's almost like you have a certain amount of willpower. And if you deplete it in one area, it's less available in another area. And all things in, you know, in ideal circumstances, you probably want to have your willpower available to you for the like the most beneficial deployment of it <clears throat> and I just thought like there's got to be a better way and I came around to thinking like well how do you how do I avoid using willpower for to this end you know how can I have it become automatic and I landed on the the notion or exploring the idea that if you can cultivate a belief then the belief itself is what drives you and you don't have to use so much willpower. Like if you can come around to, it's a difficult thing to articulate, but if you can come around to being compelled naturally to do something, then you may not have to deploy as much willpower. And so the only way that I could, uh, the, the approach that I thought was most sensible is to try to seek truth. And I guess I didn't really know at the time or, or consider at the time that one of the perhaps one of the attributes of profound truth is that it does compel behavior because it's like you it's inarguable you can't argue with it it's it's you know it's so bare it is itself in a way and that maybe is what instills a sense of of belief and the behavior that follows from that but you know i i just thought like well you can't tell yourself to believe something just like you can't tell yourself to have a thought you have your thoughts and you have your beliefs and who knows how ultimately they're constructed but I figured like if I wanted to try to instill in myself a belief that was going to be productive toward the ends that I was seeking, then the best way to do that would be to try to consume as much information as possible 
And I guess there's a faith in there that the truth that the truth I was seeking would compel the behavior that I that I wanted to um, I guess embody or pursue with less energy. You know, and that's I mean that's perhaps even a, a quite a profound notion around around like the nature of truth. But anyways, we, we, we can dig into that. But the, the point simply was, like, I wanted to, to come around to a way of, of allowing my actions to flow more smoothly and not be so, uh, you know, so grounded in willpower. And I feel like I came to that and to the point where all the things that I did for my health, my mental health, my physical health, and that kind of stuff was, it, it ended up becoming natural. It was something I wanted to do. And it, it was something that it took willpower not to do. And that was like a great success. And then I think, that has spilled over into trying to cultivate beliefs through the pursuit of truth in other areas to see what benefits might accrue to me in that way. And so long-winded way of saying, you know, I kind of see a similar pursuit uh, through your content and stuff you've been putting out. And here we are talking about it. <laughs> here we are, John. And so that was, a, that was a long intro. And so one thing that I stuck out to me in particular in that weight loss story you had is you initially had an incentive, right? So you had an incentive with that bet with your dad to lose the weight mm. um, and that kind of propelled you and it gave you a little bit of like that willpower or that motivation, but ultimately those are fleeting over time. Right. And they're, they're short lived in the moment or for a month or for two months, if you're, you know, trying to compete against a family member or something like that, and, you know, you know, prove to yourself or prove to the world that you can just do this thing. Right. How, how does that prove that you can do it for, the longevity of life, like 20, 50 years, you know, mm. that's when you have to dig deep into the truths that you're expanding on. And like, first of all, you have to, you have to accept that there are truths. And then you have, once you come across them, you have to be open to them. So saying that Bitcoin is this inevitable truth that we have seen in our own lives. Yes, it has changed us. I know it's changed you. Um, does that change some random person that has not, you know, gone down the rabbit hole? And if they don't understand the truth, the truth is nothing to them. So when we bring it back to, you know, taking care of your body, it has to come from a place of, you know, I think for me, it really changed whenever I, I found hope in, in my life, you know, and it said, I want to be around for the long term. And it goes away from, you know, oh, I just want to look good. It kind of is kind of like Bitcoin, you know, it sucks you in for these like superficial reasons like, man, I want to look good. I want to have a lot of sex. I want all girls to come to me, you know, but then in the long term, you know, it changes you and it, and it changes your principles that you really step into the gym for. Now, when I look out into the world and, you know, we can get into this in a little bit in the clown world and, you know, it's it's frightening seeing like the complete authoritarianism encroaching all over the world and people losing freedoms and they're just giving them up. So for me now, when I step in the gym, this, this is how I, you know, harden myself spiritually. We, we as Bitcoiners talk about the spiritual war all the time. And I fundamentally believe that we are actually already in World War III. World War III is the spiritual battle on the sovereign individual. And it's gonna take place over the next 10 years or so. And to do that, there's a lot of just objective things that you need to do, you know, taking care of your body and take care of your mind and, you know, what you put into your body, all of those things go into it. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's in many ways, you know, I, a lot of the, I, I've been, been working on similar, 
I've been pursuing similar paths prior to Bitcoin and Bitcoin has just given it kind of like a, an amplification or an impetus to push it even further and inspire a, a greater inspiration. But I agree. And, you know, one of the reasons, of course, like you said, you know, the veins and the girls and the, the everything else, there's superficial reasons for wanting to pursue those things. Just like, as you said, with Bitcoin, like you come for number go up and you end up staying for whatever the hell we're involved yeah. in here. But, um, you know, it's it, for, to me, the another aspect of it was always like, not being physically strong in a physical world is a vulnerability. It's a tremendous vulnerability. And I wanted to try my best in, in as many areas of my life as possible to shore up that vulnerability, right? So financial security is one, physical strength and capability is another, intellectual uh, depth is another, you know, strength of relationships is like, there's so many of these areas. And I think what I had always in some cases subconsciously and in other cases consciously been doing and perhaps now as a result of Bitcoin far more consciously and it seems like this is happening with a lot of people is like was well, to become a sovereign individual right to to really to really uh, embody that that ethos of being a strong independent sovereign individual especially in a landscape where we're in where there's so many uh, forces trying to encroach upon that I mean, it becomes obvious that one of the ways to do that is to shore up your vulnerabilities and to reduce the dependencies that you have anywhere you can find them, right? So you're, if you're entirely dependent on other people for your physical security, well, that's a massive vulnerability. And even if you were allowed to pursue your own individual sovereignty, your own individual divinity, you, it's almost like you're not even grasping for it. So why, what, who cares if anyone's trying to encroach upon it? And so I think that there's why this, there's this motivation and, and ethos starting to percolate and permeate this space. It's like both because of the encroaching environment we're in that seeks to kind of diminish the, the, the role or the sanctity of the sovereign individual, but also just by virtue of uh, the attributes of Bitcoin and how it, it, do, it, it instills that in people, that people are looking at their life and are trying to reduce dependency and they're trying to to establish greater freedom in their life. And this is part of the reason probably why that we see uh, this ethos in so many different aspects of our lives, right? We look at diet, we look at fitness, we look at intellectual stimulation, we look at political views, philosophy, like it's that, that one idea of becoming sovereign and the degree to which something like Bitcoin amplifies and, and assists in that pursuit inspires people to seek it out in so many other domains and that's amazing you know especially especially now when the world seems to be evolving into another era of of collectivist of a collectivist mindset and you know a philosopher that i'm and psychologist said oh here it is that i'm fairly interested in i read this book recently and basically neumann talks about this the, the origins and origins and history of consciousness but he you know a lot of these people that look at mythology talk about this back and forth between conscious and subconscious both on an individual level and as on a collective level and effectively they keep coming back to this notion that the proper way to engage reality is to sanctify the divinity of each individual and allow them to to flourish maximally and the 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 project of culture is determining the expression of the individual's own ends and desires and pursuits while trying to maintain a harmony with those whom you share the environment with. And that's the, the constant like figuring out of human 
the, the evolution of human culture is trying to figure out like, well, what's the proper balance? But intermittently, it falls back into the kind of the chaotic unconscious where people devolve in to such a degree that they relinquish their own individual identity, let's say, and it devolves into collectivist thinking. And typically, the, the results are fairly disastrous. And what's shocking to, to me, and I know probably you and many others, is we have so many examples of that throughout history. And yet, we're not the markers, we're not sufficiently capable of identifying the markers such that we would avoid uh, falling into the same trap. So I would say the masses are not. So the masses are not capable of identifying those markers. I think um, the Bitcoin community in general is doing a pretty good job and have been, you know, over years of identifying these things ahead of time. And, you know, we can see that now, especially when you said the word relinquish, right? Something that we're in regards to our own bodies that we're relinquishing, right? The right to choose. Do we, do we have the right to choose, right? That's a huge question. It's also a huge question is like, what is sovereignty? Like we, we talk about sovereignty a lot as Bitcoiners, usually from, a, from the standpoint of a financial or economic standpoint. But if you don't have sovereignty as it relates to your own body, how are you sovereign, right? If you are controlled, um, we can use that word controlled, you can be controlled by things that are within your own body. You can be controlled by, you know, bad thoughts, negative self-talk, you can be controlled by substances. Um, and so, yeah, you can, all, you can have all the money in the world and all the Bitcoin in the world and be financially free and sovereign. But if, you can't, if you're trapped by all of these other things, you know, you're not truly coming from a self-sovereign individual. And so that's something that really, I've always been into health and fitness. And I think you know, I can noticeably tell a difference in my life. And you know, even this morning, I got up and I housed like I have to work out before John's podcast, you know, it gets me right in the right headspace and gets me, me a more relatable person and, you know, takes the anxiety away and gets me down to earth. But at the same time, when I look at what's happening at the world, and I'm like, man, it, it not just from a, oh, I'm pissed off today, I'm going to go work out. It's like, this is my duty, right? Everybody in the world is LARPing about health and, about health and being protected. Well, go actually protect yourself. Go, go put your body in a, in a strenuous circumstance and see what are you actually capable of? When will you, mm. when will you say you're done, John? Like only you know that answer. And so when we're just being bombarded with conflicting information, into the way that it's it's really it's it's a classic propaganda tactic to just disintermediate critical thinking and to the point where you're just oh it's this one day it's this the next day eventually people will just give up and submit and just say okay please tell me what the what the truth is right i think we know what the truth is and i'm unrelenting i'm not going to let somebody else tell me and define truth i i can figure that out for myself mm -hmm. and so i think it's just it's, this is what's interesting about Bitcoin, and this is a question that I've been trying to you know, wrestle with lately, is does Bitcoin actually change human nature? You know, we would say yes, it does. On a personal micro level, I know it does. But does it on a collective level across all of society? Human nature or human, human behavior? Nature. Human nature. Make not the human distinction behavior. for me. 
So human behavior would be, um, what do I do? Let me, let me think about how do I want to describe this. Human, be, human behavior would be, what do I do that I think I should be doing or society tells me I think I should be doing? Human nature would be just what just happens, what is emergent. So do humans like, does Bitcoin, you know, we always like to talk about like Bitcoin obsoleting war, does it? Or is that just a part of human nature that even on a Bitcoin standard, there will still be this like innate human quality that says, I want to try to take this from you. Yeah, it's a very interesting notion. I mean, I guess even before you attempt to answer it, you have to try, you have to have, have at least a workable definition for human nature and how it, how whatever current state it's in came to be, right? And I, and I guess the, the simple answer would be that, you know, we, we act and we've evolved over, you know, several hundred thousand years and certain behaviors as a result of the interplay with our environments have been so deeply ingrained that they become instinctual, right? We act as though they're somewhat automatic, even though there may be, there may always be an element of, of consciousness in, in a lot of our, if not most of our behaviors. And I do think, you know, it's, it's a tricky question to say, does, does, has it changed human nature? But I have to think that the, because of the way it's going to impact how we interact with one another and how we interact with the world and our quote unquote environment, especially insofar as our environment increasingly becomes digital, right? The signal that all the signals that we get on a daily basis are becoming uh, more and more digital, that it's, I think it will be an accelerant to how our nature is impacted and and develops and evolves you know i think it it's probably too soon to say it has changed human nature but it does seem like it's going to be a very very powerful influence on how we evolve from here on out yeah i think that's a good distinction you made um it's personally something that's been on my mind lately a lot i i don't know wish i knew the answer <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What's been, uh, you know, we, we're talking about change and how, how it's going to be such an impactful thing. What have been some of the areas that it's, it's most influenced your behavior and or just, you know, we were talking about how belief, you cultivate belief so you don't have to attempt to, uh, to do a certain thing, right? So the behavior can almost become subconscious, but behavior that you want to, to, to engage in. How has it impacted you on that? level whereby it's just kind of inspired without the nece without necessitating you know will um so i'll start with i'll start to answer that question from again from the health and fitness point of view i mean so it's it's definitely ingrained a new like it like the conversation we were having at the very beginning like it's it's not even a Oh, I feel like the motivation to go get step in the gym today. It's like, this is what I have to do. There's no question about it. And if I want to remain sane in the modern world today, I need to have basically a toolkit, right? Bitcoin's one of, one of those in the toolkit. Um, I think iron is also in the toolkit. And I think um, training your mind is in the toolkit. And so those, those in particular are things that, you know, I wake up, 
it's changed my schedule in particular lately. So I used to wake up and I would work out late in the day. Um, I would always tackle work, you know, very first thing. Now I wake up two or three hours before I start working and I focus solely on myself. I try not to tweet, try not to, you know, engage with anything digital outside of um, using it to just get to the right place in my mind. So I will like interact with YouTube early in the morning. One of the first things I try to do is listen to positive affirmations. Um, I think in this, in this age of um, mental and spiritual disinformation, that it's, it's fundamentally important to be able to positively speak to yourself. I mean, it's, it's very easy to get in that, you know, black pilled doom scrolling, constantly seeking out the negative instead of like, okay, what, what is going to, you know, make me from my subconscious level remain positive? And then how do I actively on the conscious side of things pursue something in the world that I, that gives me hope. And that's, that's the Bitcoin. And so Yes, Bitcoin, I would say on a subconscious level, it is now giving me a lot of hope. But, you know, it's something that I have to continually search for on a day to day basis. And mm. it's something we as Bitcoiners like, you know, that's that's us. That's how we change history. Right. It's this is why you have the podcast. This is why I have mine. This is why we work in the space and do what we do. It's, you know, to bring about this change on the world. And we can't just be complacent and, you know, just hope it happens. Right. Yeah, 100 percent. So. I mean Go ahead. Sorry. I think, uh, you know, we always talk about long time preference as Bitcoiners and looking deep into the future. And Bitcoin has, in part, given us this skill. Um, but right now, if you're looking at the world, and there's probably a lot of people, like a lot of people who just took the red pill in 2020 or in 2021, and they're like, what the hell is going on? It's like they're just like this newborn baby deer. And their eyes are still like kind of crusted shut and they can barely walk, but they figured out that there's a fundamental problem in the entire world, but mm -hmm. they can't see the solution yet. So it gives me hope to look out on a longer, you know, on a 10 to 15 year time scale and say, yeah, I know probably the next five years, things are going to get worse. I mean, the inflation numbers came out this morning. It's the highest in 40 years. Do I think it's going to go up? Yeah. Probably still think it's going to keep going up. Um, but that doesn't break me down. It doesn't say, oh, you know, I can't, you know, I can't deal with the world today. I'm just going to, you know, be complacent. I'm going to roll over. I'm going to do everything they're trying to get me to do, which is just submit so you comply and you're easy to control. No, I'm going to, you know, keep my wits, keep my heart and keep my mental straight so I can get through this period. Um, and, you know, see the other side and see the hope and then see the renaissance that comes after it. Yeah, I think that's extremely well put. And, you know, we, the, who was it that said the cost of freedom is eternal vigilance? Do you remember who, who's, who attribute, that's attributed to? Some, some famous, you know, dude that I'm sure we all respect. But the same is true for pretty much everything, right? The cost of everything is the eternal vigilance in upholding it and constructing it. And we tend to have, we tend to think that, uh, you know, once things are established, we can kind of step back. But when, as you're talking, as you were explaining your kind of morning practice, you know, and, and this is something that 
I felt for a long time too. And why, why it's so absurd when you see these headlines, like healthy man, you know, almost died of, of COVID or some bullshit. And he's like this gigantic basso in a, in a hospital bed or something. And it's just like, it always, it just reminds me of how much, whether it's in the domain of freedom or in the domain of health or pretty much in any domain, how people become so uh, complacent, probably as a result of how many of their responsibilities have been offloaded on other institutions. And of course, these institutions are able to carry that load or at least offer, uh, seem to offer an ability to carry that load because of the fiat money and how much the size of government and these institutions have grown as a result of the ability to steal from everybody. But you look out, you know, that's what pretty much what clown world is, right? Like people just expecting everything to be given to them, to be handed to them and not like, there's never going to be a time. I don't, in my opinion, that you're not going to have to wake up and do the things that you just articulated. Yeah. The, the things in, in the Renaissance period, things may be better, but it's like, we're never going to wake up and be like, Oh, we've arrived. It's all good now. It's like, no, there's always going to, whether the stress and anxiety comes from pushing back the evil in the clown world or aspiring to a greater potential and a greater future. There's a similarity in that anxiety and how it, in how it activates something in you to want to try to propel the latter or push back the former, you know? And so we're always going to be in this dynamic of, of want, wanting more, right? Wanting to actualize more and wanting to be more, whether it's to be more resilient to fight or more capable of, of act, being fruitful and, and innovating and, and bringing about a, a better world. And I, you know, I think we, we've, the, the message has been so lost that in order to do that, you have to be intentional at pretty much every stage and every aspect of that pursuit. And like you were just saying, like my mental stability and my, like the feeling that I have of, you know, whatever it may be, but generally speaking, I feel good. I feel strong. I feel calm. I feel all these things. <clears throat> it, it's, it, it's a result of like 20 years of daily practices like you were describing, right? And the reason why I'm so, like you said, the reason why I'm so adamant about getting the sleep and getting the workouts in and eating well and being hydrated and all the other stuff you do is not because I necessarily enjoy them. I just really understand the importance of them because if, if those things don't happen, then as you say, I slip into the dark, the darkness, right? I slip into black pill. I slip into devolving into something that I would rather not devolve into. And it just seems like as a, as a, so many in the global culture have abdicated, have, have failed to recognize that and have abdicated any responsibility for their own well-being. And as a result, you get a scenario where the whole world can be convinced to, you know, into the situation that we're currently in, because that's, that's how perverted their perception of their own health and well-being is is that it's handed in a pill it's handled in a vaccine handed to them in a vaccine it's it's dictated to them by other people they have so little faith and trust and and confidence in their own ability and responsibility to manage that themselves that even the you know such a a narrative with so many obvious holes in it can totally consume them to the point where they will judge chastise, uh, segregate, and even 
wish violence on people who don't see it the same way. You know, it's, it's clown world. Well, that's, that's the root of collectivism, right? It's, mm. you don't agree with me, you're wrong, or you don't agree with us, you're wrong. And so this goes to like the, the synergy between really deeply understanding proof of work and personal responsibility. And then it reinstills that competitive nature that we should have as human beings. And, you know, especially as males, right? Like if you're not doing those things, you're not, you're not sleeping well, you're not working out, you're not eating well, you're without a doubt, not at your best. So if you're not at your best and all of these other Bitcoiners that we see, like talk about a bar is like, look at the Bitcoin community. Everything you write, everything you put out, anything you say is just by judged by some of the sharpest minds in the whole world. <laughs> so if you're not at your best, I mean, how are you even, how are you even going to be able to compete? You can't. Yeah. 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 And even if it's not a matter of competition, like you, the feedback you get is uh, immediate and honest and can be harsh, you know, and that's what I well, love it, about it. It is. It, there is competition. I mean, it's not it's not, you know, me and John who like trying to duke it out, who's going to be the absolute best Bitcoin podcaster. No, it's you, what you want to put out in the world, the image that you have, what reflects of you as an individual, you want to be the best. If, mm -hmm. if I write something, I want to make sure it's right and factually correct. And, you know, and it hits on strong points. It's not just like putting something out to put it out, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's one of the, one of the things that I appreciate about what's going on in this space is that like, and one of the reasons, you know, if you, if your desire really is to engage in this process of refinement, such that you become more and more capable of either actualizing yourself or engaging in the world on terms that you deem, you know, positive or acceptable, you want the harshest feedback, right? And you're, and you're capable of, of parsing it too. Like if, if you do anything in life and, and there's going to be legitimate constructive feedback and there's going to be a bunch of haters because they're just weak and pathetic and they want to pull you down with them right <laughs> and if you if you can't parse the the benefit you if you can't parse those two things to derive you know the benefit from it and forget the rest then you're going to have a hard time but what i love about this this space is like there seems to be a lot of people on with a similar mindset right and like if there's a blunt honesty if you are wrong if you're pursuing something that, uh, you know pursuing the wrong path, you'll get feedback, you know, and you'll get it right away and you'll get it very clearly. But if, if you really are trying to determine, if you really are trying to seek the truth of any domain, right, whether it's personal development or health or nutrition or economics or money or politics or whatever, then you want as much feedback as possible. And then you put it through your own filter and you take what's valuable, you leave the rest and you, on you go. And that that kind of feeds into the the accelerated evolution that we we're referring to before like uh, that feedback is what permits the acceleration and that we're engaging in a phenomenon here that seems to propagate accurate feedback or or at least more accurate signal of feedback is incredibly uh i'm incredibly grateful for because if you're genuine in your, in those pursuits and that's what you want. And I feel like that's what we're all getting here. It is. And it's, it's, I think it's because of Bitcoin's relationship to energy and it, it ties into proof of work and economic consequences. I mean, when we have a money that is inherently tied to energy, which we are just, 
energy beings. Everything we do is composed and uses energy in a way. And the way that we transmit money is just a form of signaling energy. So since we have devolved our money or corrupted it to the point that it is now to where you know we can print money at no cost and use it to fund everything i mean i think there's no surprise why that has you know manifested into a complete culture of people that don't have a lot of meaning i mean like we're sucking the blood out of them and then saying go live your life and pursue everything it's like well how do I do that? I'm, I'm literally, it's like I have an open wound down the side of my body and I'm losing my life force the more I work. And then the harder you work, let's just say like, let's just, you know, inflation, the harder you work, the more you'll even bleed. So mm. how does that give your life purpose to continue forward? I mean, I think it just, you know, that's what causes this clown world that we keep seeing. And so whenever you flip that on its head and you say, now we have an incorruptible form of money, um, you know, that is inherently tied to our energy as beings that we can now sp spend and save throughout time. I mean, what does that do? I mean, it, it introduces a culture of hope and optimism, I believe. That's what it's done for me as an individual. When was your uh, rabbit hole moment? Or when did this first start dawning on you? <sighs> so I found it in 2014. I was still in high school. Um, ignored it. So didn't buy it until 2016 and then didn't become a maximalist until 2018. Right. And when did you start noticing these, you know, and I know it's a progression, but you know, we, we talk about how that hope and how that change in perception changes behavior. When did you start noticing the, that those sort of effects? I wouldn't say I really started to notice them until late 2019, early 2020. I mean, that's whenever, so I was a NIM before then. Um, and then I said, okay, hey, I want to attach this to my real identity. Basically, it was whenever 2020 happened. I said, I was looking at the world. I was like, this is insane. Um, people need to wake up. And I feel like this is, I was having a full-on Tyler Durden moment, to be quite honest, is how I like <laughs> to describe it. I was, I was in the Bitcoin space, you know, nameless and nobody knew who I was and I wasn't connecting with Bitcoiners in real life. And I was just like, this is so rooted in my identity now. I feel like I, I feel like I just have to, you know, attach my name to it. And so in 2020, I launched the podcast and was basically like, Hey, I'm just going to start putting my truths out there. Um, found my way in the Bitcoin community, you know, started working for Swan later that year. It's been almost a year now. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I would say the biggest change started in early 2020. Before that, it was still piecing things together. I mean, the path to maximalism in 2018, like, I don't even think the Bitcoin standard came out until late 2018. So, I mean, it was still like culminating and I, I was, you know, took, in a, took, a, took a little while, but I, I got there. What are you doing at Swan? So, I work on our Swan private team. So I do sales and I also lead uh, partnerships now. So we're partnering. We actually launched with Hexa Wallet uh, last week. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. You can do, yeah, instant buys and on in instant self-custody into Hexa Wallet. Um, and so we're calling that Powered by Swan. And so we're looking at, you know, partnering with multiple different Bitcoin companies and how we can, you know, build our API into their platforms. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. Um, Right at the beginning, you, you 
made the bold statement that you know this is world war through world war three but it's a spiritual war maybe not a kinetic war hit me with that one yeah i mean this is a, just a personal opinion i could be completely wrong and it could end up in a kinetic war at some point right. but uh i believe this is a facet of world war three even if you know it partially ends up being kinetic but it's the attack on free will on free speech on free thinking on uh basically anything that an individual determines up you know for themselves is a truth or a a maxim or a, a way to live their life or whatever it is maybe it's just a an opinion they have but the state is trying to say you should not have that opinion you know i've almost i believe that you know this entirety of what we've seen with health over the last two years has become a new secular religion and so in a lot a lot of ways like with the way the state used to be attached to religion it has now replaced religion like in the 1600s with science and we still have these high priests that you know they determine what the science says and then us stupid serfs just have to take it and we're not allowed to have opinions or critically think about the data that's very appalling that's coming out um and so i think it's meant to break us down mentally over time that's the reason for constant conflicting uh narratives that are coming from the same sources one one time they'll say something the next day they'll say the complete opposite and it's left critical thinkers with like, what is going on? What, why? This makes no sense, right? I'm so tired of hearing that phrase, this makes no sense. I'm, <laughs> I'm being frank, John. I'm tired of hearing it, especially from Bitcoiners like on Twitter. It's like nothing in the world makes sense. It does make sense, actually. You're just looking at it through the wrong lens. Hmm. It's actually completely normal if you understand history where we are at in you know in different cycles has happened quite a bit actually so it shouldn't be uh you shouldn't be looking at it and saying like this is weird this well, i mean it is very objectively weird but um it's it's not uncommon not unexpected yeah not unexpected and what's your impression i mean again we, we can only speculate here and i and i agree that you know and i <laughs> as my girlfriend and I talk about this all the time, like you can't help but see a headline or see a piece of news and be like flat, flabbergasted at just how absurd <laughs> it is, right? But then we were like, well, of course, you know, like as you say, it's not unexpected, it's not a surprise. But what, is, what lies behind that? Do you, are you referring to kind of the propensity for human beings to go through cycles unconsciously or do you think there are, you know, and, and I hate, this is a tough question because of course there are uh, factions and entities with agendas and with incentives. And as we all play to our incentives, you know, if you're, if you're a massive pharmaceutical co uh, company and your incentives are hundreds of billions of dollars and you have already bought off, you know, all the, the necessary politicians, then it doesn't necessarily need to be anything other than them trying to maximize you know their their gains and a lot of stuff downstream like a lot of absurdity grows and and emerges from that you know and so it's 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 easy for us to try to to, to try to make logical sense of everything by connecting all these dots and then constructing a big cabal or conspiracy and and it may be that like i'm not saying it's not but 
you know, what, what are your thoughts on how, how this um, unexpected uh, climate emerges intermittently throughout history? That Sorry, is a difficult expected. question. I don't know if I said unexpected, but this expected, you know, uh, circumstance emerges throughout history. You know, I think humans are just predictable. We behave rationally based on the incentives that we have in front of us. Mm -hmm. And as human nature, you know, moves throughout different cycles as generations sort of, you know, they rebel and then they lose faith in these institutions. Like I'm sure you've heard Brandon Quidham talk about the fourth turning thesis and, you know, we're living through all of that at the same time as well. And so I think it has a lot to do with human nature. And then I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like to, you know, getting conspiratorial, getting conspiratorial is fun. Uh, but I think it pushes people away because it's a little bit too far outside the Overton window for some people. And they're just like, oh, no, I don't I don't want to hear about this cabal or I don't want to hear about, you know, the WEF, you know, organizing all the globalists. But I do think there is a mix of both. Right. There is a mix of you can't argue that there is not some sort of top down coercion going on. That's right. inevitable. Maybe it's at a huge global level. Maybe it's just at the nation state level, but it's evidently at the nation state level. I mean, we have places in the world where they're being sent to camps. We have places in and friends in parts of the world where they're being saying that you're going to go to jail if you don't do this. So there is top-down coercion. But whenever you bring in the pharmaceutical companies or whatever three-letter agencies, I, I think once they're pushed in this general direction, they're just they're acting on their own incentives. So why would Pfizer not want to release three more three more shots? Right. I mean, they made fifty billion dollars last year. I don't know how much it was, but it was a massive amount of money and they have every incentive to keep doing it. Yeah. But why was there such a coordinated global in lockstep in, in unison move to lock down the whole world? Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, I mean, that's a question that I have. So yeah, who, who, who knows? Like I, I am very careful. First, first of all, I don't think it ultimately matters, right? Because I still think the solution is always based on the individual and getting the individual to speak what they believe to be true or seek the truth and act in accord with what they find. And that is the solution to all of it. And the people that are unknowingly doing quote unquote evil, the solution for them is the same. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> people are so, uh, in, in my opinion, this circumstance has perverted people's minds so much that like I most often attribute things to emergent stupidity and the pursuit of misaligned incentives and perverted incentives right those two things alone like people's perception not being their own and as a result kind of being possessed possessed by different ideologies and and then adding on the uh, the gasoline of perverse incentives that can explain a lot now as you said like once you um, entities and people at the top of these power powerful hierarchies and institutions like their imperfections and their incentives end up having a way bigger effect than someone down at the bottom and so you know it could just be the same process playing out but in different parts of the, the hierarchy or pyramid and then it it, it feels more uh, coherent or or coordinated and that it may be but this i think this is why there's such a strong ethos 
like not only in Bitcoin, but certainly especially in Bitcoin of the answer being, and you know, Peterson talks about this a lot too, the answer being the development of the individual, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's how all of this gets resolved. And I guess that's what you're referring to when you say that this is the spiritual battle at play. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I'd love you to put some more meat on that if you got it. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I don't like to get too much into the problem. I mean, well, we have to talk about the problem to talk about the solution, but what happened has happened. The last two years has happened. For whatever reason that happened, it really doesn't matter. I like to focus on what is the solution. And so for talking about this spiritual war that is deeply rooted in eroding everything that encompasses the individual from private property to free thought, to free speech, to free money. Um, I think we have to look at the conflicting battle that's going on. I mean, and a lot of other people talk about this. This is the, you know, this is what untapped growth calls like the battle for the fate of humanity or the heart of humanity, right? This is the, the ultimate peak centralization of state control versus the decentralized sovereign individual with Bitcoin. And so I like to talk about the issues uh, just enough to peak, peak interest to steer people towards the problem. I think there's been a lot of people that, like I said earlier, that have taken the red pill or maybe they're even deep into the red pill and they're like just fully black pilled, but they have no idea what, like what's next, right? They, they, they're looking on a tweet length time scale. Like it's mm. so minute and so low, like short time preference. They can't see what's five, 10, 20, 50 years ahead. Um, and so I think that's something that is very important in the message and the signals that Bitcoiners send out is this message of hope, right? So if we go back to the, the World War III, right, it's psychological conditioning. So you give up your freedoms as an individual. And a lot of people have already done that, John. Mm. Like how many people in the world have already conceded that? So now the battle is left for the free thinking. So how do you break those people down? Well, there's a classic, it was a Russian and a Chinese propaganda tactic, especially in Soviet Russia, is they would put out conflicting information. They put out conflicting propaganda to the point that the populace would just give up. They would stop trying to make critical sense of anything that the government is saying or that any, any, anybody is saying. And people would just stop having opinions. They would submit, they would roll over, and they would just do what they're told, and they would believe what they're told. That's how you break down the sovereign individual. That's how you break down, you know, I even, I'm seeing it with Bitcoiners, and it's sad to say, um, I don't know, you know, if they're not super high-profile Bitcoiners that I'm seeing this from, but I'm seeing it, like, in the Bitcoin Twitter space, people are attacking each other over things that have, they're fundamentally inconsequential to like what we're trying to achieve. And Any so example. Um, not people, but like the issue, I mean, I don't know if I can give you one off the top of my head, but it would be like resorting to some personal insult over something that we had, maybe we had some disagreement on Twitter mm -hmm. and now, you know, we're, we're basically it's, it's pitting, you know, the army of plebs against each other. Right. Right. And so 
that is how they break down the sovereign individual. That's how they, you know, break down the free and critical thinkers is they, they attack them on a mental level. They attack them on a spiritual level and then they get them to subvert their own community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it's one of the things that I think is such an affront to mainstream normie world is, you know, you, you look at maybe the Bitcoin, Bitcoiners and normie world just thinks they're a bunch of, you know, maybe assholes, conspiracy theorists, mm -hmm. this or that. But it's like, I think so many of us have, have recognized what you just articulated and look at institutions of government, institutions of big business, institutions of mainstream media, and just flat out say, look, I don't trust you one fucking bit anymore. So if that means that, and, and so I'm going to trust myself now exclusively. And that makes things harder, right? Because the institutions of culture and society, we do, and we, we benefit from outsourcing things, cognitive load to them and trust in certain things that we're not expert in is part of that process. But when culture deteriorates so much, and of course, we know why it's deteriorating, but let's just say when it reaches such a deterioration, then if you're going to be rational and you're going to act in your best interest, and if you're going to try to continue to construct a perspective maximally oriented toward and in truth, then you have to shut out those institutions that are sending false and perverse signals. And of course, to that cohort, to that contingent, to the, to the institutions emitting those signals, your abject refusal and denial of them is the, the greatest affront that they can experience, right? And so at, at, at the same time, you have like those institutions becoming more and more uh, powerful and therefore offended by your, your, your rejection of them, which instills a greater rejection. And you have this massive you know, divide between them. And it, it does make it more difficult to find and discern truth. And, and my, you know, my perspective is like, that's why maybe in such a circumstance, you get more abstaining from having an opinion on things. It's like, I may not know that much about fill in the blank issue, but the, my kind of risk benefit, risk reward analysis of the, of all the information that has a, I have available to me, the best, the best course of action for me is abstention. I'm just not going to have an opinion and I'm not going to be compelled or inspired toward any particular action. And again, in an environment that's a growing collectivist mindset where everybody is meant to fall in line, that is such an offense to the people that want to see you fall in line. Um, you know, and I, I think that's why we're, we're, we're seen in a particular way, but it's also, you know, to, to your point about some behavior you've been observing in the space, what surprises me sometimes about the dissonance that of distrusting, you know, one institution and, but still being able to trust another, you know, but I guess that's for everybody to determine on their own, you know, by them on their own, how they, how they orient themselves. But what I love is that I'm hoping that if we continue to, to uh, be resilient and rigid in, in our approach to truth and, and not, not allow, not adopt signal or information just because it's 
readily available and propagated by these institutions. I think over time, we're going to create a culture. And I think that's what's happening here. A culture is emerging. And this is what I'm so interested in exploring. Like, what are the tenets? What are the foundational principles of this culture? I can't wait to see what emerges from that. And what I think we're seeing is a culture that's far more founded on honesty, far more founded in the pursuit of truth, far more founded on principles like, you know, integrity and, um, yeah, other like higher principles. And we're starting to see individuals who embody them, businesses and, and, and companies that embody them. And I think that's why we're also jazzed to interact with each other. Cause we're like, Oh, like, yeah, we're on the same wavelength with this and we're not alone. And we can, there is, there is a tremendous groundswell of energy around these things. It's not some fringe thing that we, we have to feel alien, alienated for feeling. It's like, no, there, there, there's something genuine emerging here. And I guess, you know, that's part of what you're referring to when you say that it's almost a spiritual battle because we're dealing with the, the principles and the ideas and the ideals of the utmost foundational significance. You know, and those are the, like you, you, you melt it all away and that's the battle, right? Like, are you going to, is each individual, you know, divinely sovereign and able to seek, discover and embody truth for themselves or are they expected to fall in line with whatever, you know, collective narrative is the, the, you know, the, the popular one of the day. That's the fundamental question, right? Right? Are you beholden to what the state and what your neighbor says? Or are you free to come to your own conclusions? Mm -hmm. um, something that I've uh, experienced over the last two years, I've lost a lot of friends, obviously, over this, you know, the whole, the whole situation. Um, but then it's now come to like, because they've seen me talk about Bitcoin for a while. And, you know, here we are, Bitcoin, the price level, which whatever. Um, so they were like, Oh, I, I, I guess I kind of have to concede you were right about that. Right. But you can't have an opinion on anything else now, Kaz, like I've been hearing, you know, stick to Bitcoin. Right. If I right. try to talk about any other issue publicly and it's like, no, we have to surrender our opinions to these council of individuals who determine, you know, what truth is right. What the science says, Science is about testing. Science is not about trusting. So why should I have to listen and put faith into somebody who has no liability for what happens to me? Um, yeah, I, maybe that's a little tangential rant, but... No, it's perfectly in line with what we're talking about. I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, when we study Bitcoin and we look at the architecture of it, it's like it's fundamentally built around the idea of not having single points of failure. So whenever you start to embody Bitcoin as a Bitcoiner, you start to architect your personality and your skill sets around the same thing. And this kind of ties into what you were saying at the very beginning about, you know, these points of uh, points of failure or points of, you know, the Achilles heel in, you know, in your sovereignty layers or in your body layers. I mean, if you have an, a point of attack, then you automatically like you're you have exposure so we as bitcoiners we it's not just that we understand bitcoin i mean 
how many things does Bitcoin interact with itself? I mean, how many things do you have to truly study that are tangential, that are interdisciplinary to understand even what Bitcoin is? So to say you should just stick to this thing, it's like, well, Bitcoin's pretty multifaceted. So <laughs> I have to understand quite a few different things to understand what it is and all the moving parts that it has. So to say, oh, I, I can't have an opinion about anything else. Why is that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. that's just, it's deeply rooted in collectivists. Like it, to me, it always goes back to meaning. Like what is meaning if we as individuals can't freely express ourselves, right? It's like, there's an interaction between meaning and truth and self-expression. And if all of those things are taken away from us. What gives your life meaning? Mm -hmm. Just going with the flow, you know, being told what to do every day, like that doesn't excite me. That doesn't make me want to talk to you either. Honestly, if we agreed on absolutely everything, John, what is there to really talk about? I mean, sometimes like, yeah, we, we agree on probably a lot of things as it relates to Bitcoin. Um, and I think we have these conversations because we fundamentally just agree with each other in principle, but we should still be able to disagree about things. And this is what kind of frustrated me with what I saw in Twitter is like, we're battling over these superficial things that we should actually be fine with disagreeing each other about, but wholeheartedly deep down, we believe in these same principles. And so yeah. we should be, you know, fine with disagreeing, but like saying that's cancel culture, right? Just because you have an opinion as a Bitcoiner that's a little different than mine, that may not even relate to the Bitcoin protocol at all. Okay, I'm going to resort to personal insults. I'm going to block you. I'm not going to interact with you and I'm not going to see anything you say anymore. Yeah, that is that is the complete opposite of what we're trying to do. That is yeah. that is collectivism. Yeah, uh, it is. And it's it's weak as shit, you know, and I, it's just. It's a manifestation of of behavior and certain perspectives and principles that I think are attempting to be or are becoming transcended in, in what we're doing here. And I, I totally agree with you. And it's not even that we necessarily need to disagree, although like, you know, if you want to get specific about it, that probably is the case. But like, there has to be a mutual attitude of genuine seeking, right? So like you and I might agree everything on the principles that we think are animating, well, the principles that are being emitted from Bitcoin and animating the culture through the behavior of every individual who really interacts with it. But we may still both recognize that our knowledge is incomplete and say, hey, man, like, okay, we got this thing, this phenomenon, it's pushing out these principles, we're embodying them, we're acting in accord with them in some capacity, what the fuck is going on? How do how should we understand these principles more? How are you, you know, so like, there's a collaborative understanding that's taking place that doesn't necessitate necessary, like head on disagreement. But I understand your point in that, like, that's inevitable, right? Knowledge is forever incomplete. And if we, if and again, this goes back to the, how genuine is your pursuit of knowledge and, and the proper way or the, and the best possible way to embody it toward maximum benefit for you as an individual and for the, the society in which you're, you're acting, how genuine is that pursuit, right? So if you end up resorting to ad hominem because, you know, whatever, I'm not buying it. It's not as genuine as it could be. The same is true when people come in and they get butthurt that, that Bitcoiners are, are a little bit, you know, rough around the edges or nasty with them. <laughs> then you're too much of a puss and you're not, you're, you're not 
uh, actually, you haven't placed the truth of the pursuit higher than the protection of your own ego and your, your image of yourself. And if that's the case, then I don't care if you, you get butt hurt because you're not here for the right reasons, you know? Um, and I love that, you know, I really love that. And I also, I take it a lot of it in stride. Like we're all imperfect, right? So we all slip up. We all sometimes say things we would take back and we all sometimes get emotional, more emotional than we would have liked. And so like, I try not to dismiss someone simply because occasionally they, you know, they're not their highest self for lack of a better term. Um, and I still think there's a lot to be gained from, and I, I take it all as data at the end of the day, you know, like all these interactions that we have on Twitter and podcasts and that I witnessed there, like I try not, I, I find myself less and less judgmental of it all and just see it as, as data, you know, data that's useful for me to understand myself better, useful for me to understand the people that I'm interacting with better and to plot a course through it all toward continual you know development toward whatever ideal aim i'm actually pursuing and then also throughout that process defining that aim more clearly because like if you would ask any yeah if you would ask anybody like what who are you trying to become i think most people be like i don't fucking know they're like i'm trying to be honest i'm trying to be good i'm trying to be (laughs) strong but like it's kind of murky right and so this process of engaging and communicating and dialoguing, interacting, and then taking the feedback and not like using that to not only to construct who you want to be, but also to continuously refine the definition of what that even is, is, is super important and super beneficial. And that, that like, that's why I'm so, I have so little interest in like these debates about toxicity and maximalism and all this nonsense. Cause I'm just, I don't know. Like, I don't know why people can't just take the good, leave the bad and, and, and on they go and, and not get, um, not get so caught up by other people, not acting the way that they wish they would act or something like that. You know, it's funny. It ties right back into the collectivist conversation, right? That's, that's what's happening with the shit coiners saying that they can't handle the Bitcoin community and Bitcoin maximalism has failed, whatever the hell that means. Like, I think it's doing pretty well, but it goes back to what you said, how you phrased of relinquishing the ego in the face of truth. And if you, if you can't give up your own personal beliefs, whenever you're staring in the face of something fundamentally profound and in, in, in so many different aspects that it's going to, in ways that it will change humanity and you can't break the preconceived notions you have you're you're not in it like i'm sorry come back later i'll give you another chance because i understand the the role of the rabbit hole and and how it goes but like you're not you're not on the same playing field and and you i think it's funny that funny isn't the right word i think it's interesting that you know we get labeled almost in the same light of what we're discussing so from the outside I'm sure a lot of people are like, man, those Bitcoiners, they're so like the cognitive dissonance, right? They're all, they're all thinking the same thing. They're all collectivists. And if you, they're an echo chamber, a hive mind, if you disagree with them, then they just say you're wrong. And it's like, well, we all reach these conclusions independently. And we all, we know, I don't, there's not one single person in charge of who dictates who and anything like that. It's still 
you know, an emergent phenomenon within a community. And I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I, I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I obviously agree with you and it, it's a good point. Like, how do you know that you're not the one that's, uh, that's being, that's susceptible to this collectivist thinking that's being drawn into an echo chamber? It's really hard not to know. And, but I think, you know, you, one of the hallmarks of maybe knowing that you're not in a, in an echo chamber is how, how much each member of that echo chamber challenges one another to, you know, to prove the validity of their principles or their thinking or their behavior. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about this. Like, and to be certain, there, there is an element of like tribalism and echo chamber, because it's like, you can't not have any biases. Like there is a utility to a bias in that it helps kind of crowd it helps uh, block out you know information that at least for the moment you deem to be irrelevant to the ideas you're trying to refine and so like of course you always have to be careful about that and you always have to question yourself and your assumptions and your priors and all of that kind of stuff but what i do appreciate is like part of the reason why it seems like this these dialogues are so contentious is because everyone kind of is like yeah i'm on your team but you know, are you really right? Like there, there's, there's this ethos of really not, um, not giving anybody a pass, right? Like yeah. slaying, slaying your heroes, letting, letting the ideas do battle and whoever is representing those ideas go for it and not making concessions for feelings and for egos and that kind of stuff and letting the ideas do the, letting the ideas be expressed. And then as a, as a result of that dialogue, trying to refine, trying to come to a, a more refined understanding of what they are. And I could totally see why people on the outside would like, well, Bitcoin gets called a cult all the time, right? You know, and I think that's partially because it's so divergent from, you know, the mainstream uh, method of interacting and, and way of thinking. And I don't think that's, I mean, a lot of us came to this because we already had that inclination, right? We we're a bit anti-establishment, anti-status quo, however you want to characterize it. But then this phenomenon emerges that just has a gravity that pulls on all those strings that were independent thinking and desire for freedom, sovereignty, liberation, pursuit of knowledge. I mean, one of the things you, you mentioned before was like how multidisciplinary this thing is. And I think part of the reason for that is when something is so uh, unprecedented and mysterious, right? When you, you have this thing and you go, what is it? And that question just keeps running. And e the more answers you put on it, <clears throat> it's still insufficient because you say, oh, it, it's this, but there's more. And then you say, oh, it's this, but there's more. And what that does, which I think we all appreciate, is it imbues all inquiry with a greater vibrance than it had before because that inquiry is now far more potentially relevant right you may look at philosophy you may look at religion you may look at economics you may look at monetary history with you know far more interested eyes than before and that that has a genuine impact on your how you feel and your your experience of reality and perception right now because it brings mm -hmm. to life all of those disparate pursuits and by virtue of the fact that you have something that is so damn mysterious that just 
regardless of how many answers you put on it as to what it is, it, it refuses to be satisfied. You know, it, it continues to seem like it relates to more and more and more and more. And, you know, this is part of the reason why I think there's like a genuine awakening slash renaissance occurring through people that are really deep in, in the rabbit hole because it's revivifying the pursuits of, of knowledge and inquiry that we've been pursuing as a, a civilization and as humanity for 10,000 years. And it's all being revivified by this one question of what is this thing? And, you know, you get into some pretty interesting territory when you keep following that down and you keep asking like, well, what is the relevance or what, how should we define or understand the thing that revivifies and brings relevance and brings everything else together? What is that thing? Is there a name for it? Are there, are there corollaries and comparisons to other things in history? And the answer is probably yes. And, and you know, so we, we tried our best to explore those things. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's beautifully put. Um, and it, how it constantly challenges you and what you think you know and what you think you understand about Bitcoin. And it'll even like surprise you whenever you just stumble across the same thing three years later that you thought you knew and you thought you understood. And then it's like, an, it's like, a, like I have re-epiphanies with Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Like they're the same epiphany I keep having, but they have different significance and what I, what I think they mean. And not even just that the question of what this thing is, it's like something I could totally understand like from years ago, but it's like what it actually means now. How, how long is that going to go on? I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer for that. But it's deeply tied to sort of shedding the ego, shedding notions that you thought you believed. And I think it's, it's no surprise why the culture is so based around self-improvement. And it's like, yeah, I, I really respect you, but at the same time, I'm going to challenge you and, and, and pressure you and, and see what you actually believe and what you think and how you articulate yourself and how you see the world. Uh, because ultimately we're, we're all striving to hopefully, I mean, I think we're all striving for a better, better world, right? That's the whole point of what we believe in this thing for. And part of having a better world is having better people alongside you. So if I don't have those people calling me out, you know, maybe, are they even my friends? Like, are they people I want beside me? Mm -hmm. If I truly and fundamentally and, you know, genuinely screw up somewhere, my best friends are going to call me and tell me out. They're not they're not going to, you know, resort to personal things, but they're going to say, Hey, you know, you should probably rethink this or reconsider or look at it from this point, this point of view. And yeah. so I think that, and it's like, when we start having the question of what is this Bitcoin culture going to look like down the line? I mean, we can see it now. We can look at it in the past and how it's evolved from, you know, cypherpunks and crypt cryptographers to libertarians to, gold bugs even to now um now i don't even know you know it's probably just anybody who's disagreeable is probably looking at bitcoin a little bit um but what is it going to look like down the line and you know what is what is it going to change in humanity like what is the music going to sound like what is what it's going to be reflected in art and yeah. you know how are people going you know are people like we keep you know, the, this question from the earlier between human behavior and human nature, you know, 
is everybody that we see in the world, like, can they actually go through the same process that we went through? Or is there just a certain archetype of humans that want this? You know, I had a conversation with uh, Pablo. I don't know if you know who Pablo is. Pablo. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and we spoke about, you know, sort of this crux that we're at in humanity um, with basically people that want to, you know, offload responsibility and the people that say, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take on more and more. And we kind of got to the conclusion by the end of the conversation that there's really going to be, you know, two forks, like there's going to be different societies in the future. And there's going to be people that inevitably resort to, you know, you know, offshoring their responsibility to some organization or institution. And then there's going to be inevitably people that don't want that. And they say, no, I'll, I'll verify it myself and I'll come to my own conclusions and I'll, I'll live according to my own principles. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what you think about that situation. Do you think um, the powers of Bitcoin and how they shape uh, personal belief, are they strong enough to affect everybody in the world? Or are, they, or are we just going to save you know, certain, certain people? I think they're strong enough to affect everybody, but they're going to affect everybody differently, right? Like, to your point, I think there's always going to be more and less inquisitive people. And if you're more inquisitive, ostensibly, you're going to discover more. You're going to be more convicted in the things you discover and the truths and the ideas and principles that you hold, and you'll be affected and changed more by them as a result. Uh, But the reason why I say I think it's powerful to affect everybody is because, you know, I see Bitcoin as a mechanism for one, uniting everybody and also propagating the greatest. We say the signal that money carries is something to the effect of, you know, the the value hierarchies of the people whose the, the people whose actions the money signal is reflecting. And so if it can be propagated with, well, if it can be pristinely propagated, right, with no distortion, dilution, what have you, then I think we, we get to contend with truth as a civilization far more than we've ever done so in the past. And the signals that people receive, because it's not like a lot of people's perceptions today and the things that you, you, it's almost like you can't blame them entirely because we, we all follow signal in our life, whether it's information signal, price signal, incentive, and all that kind of stuff. And the, the more that signal is distorted, the more your life is going to be predicated on false signals and the more you're going to fall into incongruence with the different forces or factions of reality that you contend with, the social world, the natural world, your own self, right? And so the, the Alternatively, the more that those signals are truthful, you know, so for example, if the price signal is truthful, then at least you have a leg up. And I, I think the price signal is the most important signal. And so at least you have a leg up that you're, you're establishing a relationship with the social and natural worlds by virtue of the price signal grounded in truth far more than you ever have in the past. So even if you're an idiot and you like, you're not interested in any of these pursuits, your the signal that you're following at least is mm-hmm. real and truthful and that at that even if like even if subconsciously you end up orienting your be, your behavior around truth more and you know this is 
this is where it gets really interesting. It's like, well, is there an absolute truth? What is, you know, is there a source of truth? And I, I think this animates a lot of our energy in, in an inquiry around Bitcoin right now, why Bitcoin seems to be, you know, a lot of people are starting to talk about these religious ideas around Bitcoin, because it, if we accept that Bitcoin is at the very least, and I think it does more than this, but if it's going to propagate truth better and more pristinely than anything ever, well, it begs the question like, well, what's the source of the thing that's being propagated? You know, and, and I, I think that, you know, what, what is the ultimate, what is ultimate truth? What is, uh, what are the founding principles? What, what are the best principles by which to orient one's life? And I think you determine that, like, I think the religious pursuit and why we often wind up there is that question. And, and I think what religions try to determine is like, what are the principles that animate or permeate the structure of reality? And because it's, it's almost like a coherence with them is most likely to lead to success for the individual and for social harmony. And so it's like, you're trying to align the principles that you hold to be true and that inspire your own behavior with whatever principles are imbued in the structure of reality in some sense. And, you know, I know that's kind of a, a bold or heavy claim, but if we kind of just assert that, that there is, how should I put this? Let's say, let's just for the moment assert that there, there's something about that that's true. There is a, there is a absolute truth or truths, right? It, not everything is relative. There are some foundational truths. If that's the case, then a pristine incorruptible money is the best means of propagating that, that out from you know, the logos of the individual out into the world, into the culture. And that's kind of like, again, if that is true, and if the individuals acting and, and sending out those signals continue to refine themselves, this is kind of lends itself to the idea that the refinement of the individual and therefore the expression of their behavior is an externalization of those foundational principles, which is kind of like the idea of the manifestation of the kingdom of God, right? Like you're taking the most truthful, most fundamental principles, and because of your own refinement, you've opened yourself up to expressing them more and or to embodying them more. And then an incorruptible money is a means by which you most propagate them out into the cultural or social world. And so, you know, if any of that is, is, is true, then I think even people that are not that inquisitive or not that concerned or not that curious with, broadly speaking, what's going on in the world, they're going to be fairly profoundly impacted by the fact that those are the signals that they are responding to. So I'm fairly hopeful that, like, there's always going to be strata of thinkers and philosophers and scientists and everyone's going to have their their thing and that's great you know the diversity of of pursuits and interests is what makes culture so rich and and engaging and worthwhile but i i i don't think it's going to be possible to escape the influence of uh the you know the the ability the, the influence of how bitcoin will propagate uh information in a more pristine manner than ever before I think that was extremely articulate, John, and it's going to be hard to follow that, follow that up, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think you, you answered my question almost in something else that I described from the opposite point of view and earlier in our conversation, as I was saying that the corruption in the money has 
manifested into this life of meaning and sort of devolved into this collectivism um, from the inherent problems in the price signal reflected through our money and through our expression and how we propagate that. And so, yeah, I think everything you said is entirely logical that if we solve that problem at the root of it, and we now have this incorruptible inherent truth at the base layer of how humans express needs and values across space and time with each other, that it would be profoundly difficult for people who even consciously want to ignore it to ignore it. I mean, they will, it seems like in this case, it would almost make everybody more truthful and honest. I mean, even if they're <laughs> not even intending to be. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And, you know, it's almost like, and, you know, we're, we're in, we're in the weird territory here, but it's almost like you're, let's say there's a, there's a the potential for a channel between the principles that animate the structure and our experience of reality, call it God or whatever you want to, and the manifest world, right? And there's like a, a tube there. And both the individual and the manner and, and media by which the individual expresses themselves are like two toll roads or blockages there. And so if the, the more the individual is able to understand the truth on the, the structure side, and align with it and open themselves up to it, then the more they're able to express it, right? But then the secondary component there is that, well, if in the social world, at least, the primary means by which they express it and, and send it out is through their action and their behavior and how that's represented in, in, in prices and how their values are imbued in their, in their economic behavior, then it's also very important that that tunnel is not blocked, perverted, obstructed, by the me the media by which that's sent out i.e the money but if you can and it, maybe this is why there's this like interesting interplay or um feedback loop that's happening now because maybe there's an emerging recognition of of that and we're saying like oh like we're tr we're trying to pursue truth on the far side of that spectrum right on the structure on the god side of that spectrum because now we've been almost incentivized to do that because the the media by which it's expressed has become open has become un, un, unobstructed and so now there's a greater incentive to refine our own ability to transmit and open ourselves up to that because now we know that its reach can be so amplified so much more and maybe that's why we're what's happening is happening and we're kind of like opening a tunnel between you know, uh, eternal foundational principles and the manifest world. And it, it was necessary to have the two pieces of both the individual and the media by which the individual's values are most propagated to exist for such a degree of, um, to be inspired so much to, to uh, open up the former, i.e. The, the, the individual's component or, or role in that relationship. So isn't it funny that that only happens after you realize that you can solve the problems that we're talking about in the manifest world, in the physical realm? Like, because you can't start it's to... Certainly, it certainly incentivizes it more, right? Like, I think a lot of people might have been on that, you know, spiritual path before, but the, the, prob the big problem was like, well, 
the transmission problem. That was, mm -hmm. you know, that was one of the big problems. So it was a, maybe it was a far more individual pursuit, even though, you know, of course, our, our behavior absent the signal of money certainly has impact, but perhaps just having that signal be able to be propagated to such an extent in perpetuity and so pristinely has just revivified or re-inspired the former to, to develop and be refined. And that's why you see, and that's why, you know, probably your podcast and other podcasts that get more onto the, the philosophical side of things, why do they go there, right? It's because we've kind of already uncovered a lot of the truths that you're talking about on the other side of the realm. We understand how Bitcoin works. It's not as interesting to talk about, you know, the nuts and bolts of how it works. At, at a certain point in the rabbit hole, you start to, okay, yes, I get this. Now, how does it intersect with humanity and spirit and, and faith and all of these intangible aspects of life that transcend the individual throughout the cosmos? I mean, that's what's really interesting to me. It's not, you know, the technicals and the economics and, you know, I, I'll love all of that stuff forever. But I mean, it really like when I engage with people, I want to engage with people and I want to like deeply understand how they are viewing the world. And I think that's why it's so important to have disagreements and have opinions, right? Mm -hmm. How else do you learn and how else do you, right? And how else do you grow if you are constantly exposed, if you're not constantly exposed to new and, you know, different information? Yeah. And this goes back to what you were saying before. It's like we're, we're meaning making and meaning responding to and we respond to meaning right so like the the technical attributes are fascinating and it's important to be aware of them so that you can understand what allows such a system to to function but as you saying like the the emergent behavioral phenomenon is 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 where the rub is right and how this is actually impacting people's perception of meaning and value and how it's bleeding into their their behavior i mean that that's if not for that then what's interesting about it right if it, it basically if it doesn't permit novel behavior if it doesn't imbue people with a novel perception and 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 uh inspire or motivate different behavior then well how is it special i mean that's that's the metric by which we determine the the salience and the meanings of things how they affect us and so if it doesn't do that and it doesn't change who we are how do we not end up in the same problem in the future yeah, yeah I, so, yeah, I agree. Like, this is why it's so important to, you know, have these conversations about with people and, you know, push each other and see, okay, what do you actually believe? Where, where is your line? And, you know, what are we actually fighting for here? Are, mm -hmm. are you even fighting? <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you even think there is a, a war going on? So back to the spiritual war, I mean, how is what we're doing with Bitcoin not part of it? I yeah. mean, we're fighting for something and we're fighting for what we believe the future will look like. And, you know, all the great things that we, we, we believe will come out of that. Um, it's, it's such a good question. Cause you could, you could say it another way. If, if you want to take some of the edge off it and not say, what are we fighting for? But like, what are you most pursuing? And it's almost like the, what is the motivational significance of the thing you're pursuing? And the more motivational significance it has, the more you're going to pursue it or the more you're going to, you know, quote unquote, fight for it. And I think that's part of the enterprise that we're engaging in here is trying to determine like, well, what is the motivational significance 
of this thing? What is its meaning? What are the implications? And that's what's so engaging about it because it's it, it seeming, it may not be endless, but we certainly don't seem to have a very clear grasp on it yet. And that's what all this is about, right? That's what these conversations are about. We're just like kind of blind and grasping at, at straws. We're, we're observing certain changes and we're observe, observing certain behavior and effects. And then we're trying to like use those to infer what's going on or to, to speculate about what's going on and what the, the, genu the true motivational significance of this thing is. Because like the greater the motivation, motivational significance of something, the more you're going to pursue it and fight for it. And again, this is kind mm -hmm. of the idea of like a religious zealot. It's like, well, at the top of their motivational hierarchy is the God or principle or you know, whatever entity idea that is most animating and propelling their behavior. It has the greatest motivational significance for them. And you might say, well, that, that, that sometimes is a very, that sometimes is a process that gets hijacked or led astray. And that's absolutely right, which is why it's, it's such a, well, why it perhaps has been the central um, enterprise of civilization or humanity since the dawn of civilization 10,000 years ago to try to determine what should be the thing of greatest motivational significance, because that will determine how things are valued all the way, it, it, all values subordinate to that are determined by the thing that's at the top of that, that hierarchy. And if you mess it up, there's really bad outcomes. If you get it right, maybe there's really good outcomes. And I think this is the part of the religious enterprise is the, the, the qualitative, the assumption that there's a qualitative distinction between what's at the top of that motivational hierarchy and the importance of never giving up on the refinement of it. Because if you continue to refine what's at the top of that, then you stand a chance, I guess, at not being led astray by having the wrong thing up there, something like that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's not that Bitcoin should be at the top of that value hierarchy for everybody. I think it's, it's there for us. It should inevitably be there for some people. Um, but the point of Bitcoin is that it allows you to choose what that is. Maybe the, for, maybe for some people, that's just their family. Maybe for some people that is being a doctor and helping other people. Maybe that is writing code, whatever, the, whatever that is, right? Your value hierarchy is subjective. And if we've learned anything from Austrian School of Economics, we understand that value is subjective. That's so, the interesting point, though. Is there an absolute non-subjective value? Is that what the, the idea of God is, for example? So I, I would still say no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there is a objective form of I don't know what the right word I'm trying to say here is, but I wouldn't say that. No, because there's, there's still like, you could, Jesus Christ could come down and there would still be people that didn't believe it. Right. Well, sure. They wouldn't believe, but I guess what I'm saying is are there principles that are so sewn into both the structure of reality and your own consciousness that alignment with them confers maximal benefit. And now you may not now benefit is a tricky thing to, to describe and, and articulate, but in, 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 to borrow Peterson's term again, he, he uses the phrase, you know, brings about the greatest good and useful order, let's say. But 
I think that's part of the religious assumption that there actually is a objective value and it's incumbent upon everybody, not just to be told it and to believe it, but to uncover or discover it. And in the doing of that, you maximally align yourself with bringing about the greatest possible benefit for you as an individual and for the collective. Now, this is all very fresh thinking for me too, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I haven't, you know, it's, it's fresh, but I'm, it, it, it seems to carry some water for me. It seems to make some so, rational or logical sense. So you're almost saying that using like the religious doctrine as a compass is inherently objective in society just because it, it makes the individual search for truths within themselves and what they define as value? No. And, and this is tricky, right? Because the institutions of religion, I think, are all highly fallible and, and deserving of a tremendous amount of criticism and that, and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's tricky to, to parse the two and still, still be somewhere solid. But, you know, I guess what I'm, the idea that I'm currently mulling over is that, like, I think whether or not any of those enterprises, right, when it, the, the, the formal religions of the world, whether or not any of them have gotten it completely right, I think the, the presumption and the reason why these pursuits inevitably emerge throughout the course of humanity and every civilization is because there is a benefit to, to that pursuit, to trying to determine, let's say, an absolute or objective value to align to, right? And so we could remove the religious language and just say, like, what are the principles that animate the structure of reality? Big question, I know, right? But if we were to be able to discover even some of them, and then align or become more congruent with them, would it not be rational to then assume that we would have a, an easier time of existing and being successful in the world because there's less friction created with the principles that we hold and align our behavior with and the principles that actually animate reality? You know? And so I think part of the religious pursuit has, I guess, been an assumption that yes, that is actually true, and an attempt to discover and then propagate the principles that these pursuits uncover. And that's why I think there's a ton of wisdom in, in most religions. Mm -hmm. But as with so many things, their institutionalization has led to their corruption. And to such a degree that you, know, you introduce incentives for their propagation absent the wisdom necessarily that, that animates the religions themselves. And so you get a ton of people in the world, if not a vast majority, who align with perhaps a religion and try to adhere to some of its doctrines. And those doctrines may indeed be, you know, be imbued with a great deal of wisdom, but still nevertheless only be knocking at the door of the enterprise that, that first instigated the pursuit. And I think what's incumbent on everybody is to not just adhere to the doctrine, but to engage in the pursuit themselves such that their behavior can be maximally aligned with whatever unseen principles animate and determine success in this world. Mm -hmm. And so you believe that this is forthcoming with Bitcoin, right? That yeah, Bitcoin so to, introduces a way that we can now have a sort of an absolute truth in the world um, that allows us to sort of discover meaning or search for it within ourselves. Something like that. Yeah. And 
to the point earlier, I'm not, it may be, well, it's not necessarily the case that Bitcoin is the thing at the top of the motivational or value hierarchy. I think rather it might be more accurate to say that it, it ascends the hierarchy by virtue of the fact that it's instantiated via certain principles. And so I would say that Bitcoin is fundamentally an instantiation of truth and freedom. It, it, it propagates incorruptible truth. And the fact that it does that and the way in which it's constructed permits a greater degree of individual sovereignty and freedom than ever before. And I think it's not necessarily the entity, but the fact that the entity embodies those principles and those principles are at the high mm -hmm. are at the top of our motivational or value hierarchies that cause us to convert, confer so much value on the entity that most represents them. And I think it, it possibly is the case that Bitcoin is the entity that most represents those principles, hence why it is, it's ascended so high on our motivational hierarchy. And interestingly, I, you know, I think by virtue of that, it becomes a type of judge. And, you know, again, we're, I've been getting into religious territory a lot lately, but it's, <laughs> it's unavoidable when you start using this kind of language, but like when something like that burns so hot, let's say, and ascends to such a high point in that hierarchy, it the contrast it creates with everything else, well, it changes the, the way that you judge things. And, and you mentioned ego earlier. I think it's fascinating that like the intense value that you know some hardcore Bitcoiners are perceiving Bitcoin with causes them to uh, diminish causes the diminution of other, let's say tradable value in their life right are you gonna are you gonna buy the new ps5 or are you gonna buy sats instead are you gonna buy an extra chair are you gonna buy sats instead and i don't think that's just by virtue of the fact in the adoption cycle we are and the price appreciation to be expected but i think as you you've been saying it's like you recognize this thing as such a powerful forcing function for hope and in humanity that like you want to imbue it with as much value you can, and you want to use it, you want to leverage it as much as possible for your own benefit. And what that seems to end up doing is like all those ego-based things that formerly you might've attached to your identity to, to assuage or soothe your ego, like nice cars and nice watches and all this kind of stuff. I think the, those things get diminished. And what remains up there, like at the, the top of that hierarchy, are things that can't be traded and are typically not associated with ego, right? Love, beauty, relationships, nature, wisdom, freedom. Um, and so the fact that this thing that ascends the hierarchy, I mean, it seems to, it seems legitimate that it's ascending and it's ascended to the top and has caused this restructuring and reordering of our value hierarchies. And I would say has well, maybe has reoriented them more in line with eternal principles. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're getting at here, right? And so Bitcoin then becomes the thing imbued with quote unquote godly principles to more align consciousness with the things that are actually of greater and potentially objective or absolute value. And, you know, that, that's just fucking insane right but <laughs> you know here we are trying to figure things out so it's funny um we have we're having this conversation about collectivism earlier and it's like 
it's funny uh bitcoin really is the the greatest good for the greatest amount of people like the greatest good for society right mm -hmm. the classic collectivist term it but it really is right if everything you just said is true then how is that not the just best thing if just for the record <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a big if, I mean, we're drawing this off of evidence that we've, you know, come to ourselves, right? The question around spending, you know, is for me, you know, we're, we're completely different ages, so it may be different. Um, but like before Bitcoin, I, I didn't question money at all. I didn't question, you know, what I was spending it on. Was that a re actually like reflection of me? Too. That's another thing that Bitcoin forces you to do is like, actually, everything you spend your money on is who you are. So, which is a deep, you know, a deep principle that people are probably like, oh, no, you're crazy. But it's not just like, I want to express my value through these principles that we that were that are on this value hierarchy somewhere um, in the best possible way. And, you know, that usually, you know, that when the question comes down between a PS5 and sats right question is going to be sats or the answer is going to be sats um but like it's interesting as it as it goes further down the time scale that we're talking about because the the savers of today in bitcoin are going to be the capital allocators of tomorrow mm -hmm. and so when we talk about the questions of self-improvement and and pushing each other and, and you know seeing where people are um, I think that's important because these are going to be the same people that are steering humanity in the future. And so if you, yeah, you could have saved a lot of money in Bitcoin and in 20 years, you know, you're loaded and you do nothing with it. That's fine. That's, that's your prerogative. That's the whole point of Bitcoin is so you can do what you want and you can save and be told you don't have to do anything. Um, but I think a lot of Bitcoiners you know, the, on this quest that we're on for uncovering and unraveling these truths and, and really ascending as beings to our best possible state, you know, that comes with eventually using our Bitcoin in the future towards funding things that will perpetually, you know, steer humanity in, in the best possible ways, right? I mean, these will be the enterprises of the future will be funded through Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. Yeah, I agree. And, and the discovery of what they should be is going to be so much less uh, perverted and distorted because the market process will be able to more ably discern or, or reveal where capital should flow. What, mm -hmm. what are the, it'll, it'll more reflect the emergent values of all the different, all market participants, right? And if we kind of pursue this line of thinking that once we get the ability to more truthfully transmit those things, it then further inspires the refinement of those things within each individual, then presumably over the course of time, what will emerge is like the things of greatest value deep within us will, the market will continue to incentivize their further expression and emergence. And it, you know, I'm super excited to see what that is, you know, because mm -hmm. we live in such a, you know, fiat land is so fucked, basically, <laughs> you know, uh, so distorted that, you know, we look out at the world and so many people wonder why they feel a sense of incongruence with it. I know I certainly did for, for a long time. And you try to figure out why. And once you realize, you know, and I, 
mostly, right? There's many, there's multi, everything is, is multivariate. Uh, but mostly that like the reason why you feel incongruent is because it, it, it doesn't seem to be a representation of the, th the truths that you found inside yourself. But when we get to a place where that is more and more uh, drawn out of people and propagated through the market, like I'm just so excited about what that's going to mean. And, you know, we pass around this idea of like a Renaissance 2.0. And I, obviously, I totally believe that. But you asked before, like, what will people do? And I think one of the and this this might even be well, this is happening right now, actually, you know, uh, but when people feel a certain degree of security, foundational security in relation to their future, i.e. financial security, well, then you can say, all right, well, what is a more meaningful pursuit to me? And some people might just say more financial security and optionality, and that's fine. But other people might say, you know what, like, I'm, I'm pretty secure, I'm going to delve into these philosophical, religious, whatever questions that humanity has been grappling with for so long. And I think part of the, you know, I think so many people are going to be liberated from the concerns of anxiety relating to the future, i.e. they're going to have more financial security, that they're going to be able to, you know, reopen the book on so many of humanity's biggest questions and problems and discover new ones that, mm -hmm. I mean, we're not going to be a utopia, but it's going to be a very uh, vibrant and stimulating uh, scenario that, you know, and circumstance that unfolds. And again, like this is what's happening right now. Like so many Bitcoiners, you and I included, included are reorienting our lives around being able to engage and explore this thing. And yes, still, you know, still uh, wanting to contribute value and receive, you know, rewards for that value. But like, how many people do you know? Well, maybe not know in, in like meat space, but like a lot of people, once they clue into this, they're like, I want to work at a Bitcoin company. I want to contribute in some way. I want to write for Bitcoin mag. I want to do whatever. I mean, give that another five years to unfold and give Bitcoin another five years to do its thing. And like how many of those people are, you know, extra uh, pumped up and extra able to express that, those uh, desires and pursuits and ambitions, the more they're, they're liberated from the concerns of, of, uh, of financial security that might detract from their ability to focus on those things. Like it's, and that's why it's like, it, it could all happen. Oh, it is happening super fast. I mean, you mentioned, like uh, like 2019, I think that was like when maximalism kind of went mainstream, you know, like, a, like that narrative became a lot more popular. I mean, it's only been two, three years. And think about all the, the ideas that have percolated in this space and all the great writing and all the, like, it's happening so damn fast. Mm -hmm. I mean, give it another, what's gonna, like the next halving, what are we going to be talking about? Because these, I don't think these ideas are going away. And even if they do, they're going to be replaced by better ones. That's the hope, at least, you know, so we're going to keep, you know, pursuing this and keep digging down the rabbit hole and keep chopping at this tree until, well, until what? I don't know, until a greater coherence or congruence with truth, broadly speaking. I, like, I think that's part of the, the enterprise here. And I mean, what could be more exciting than that, especially you, as you come out of a, a world that's like pretty much predicated on lies and deceit and dishonesty and lack of integrity and all that stuff? 
Yeah. I mean, it, for me, I'm sure it's super exciting for you as well. It's seeing the caliber of, of mind share that's coming now around the question of Bitcoin. Like you had the opportunity to help orange pill Jordan Peterson. Now seeing his latest conversation was safe and like watching him in real time, like discover the profoundness of energy money. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting cause it's like, okay, you know, he's a, he's a high caliber intellectual. What's yeah. it going to be like in five years when we have almost all of the world's intellectuals thinking about this problem now? Almost everybody in the world, I think, in five or 10 years is going to be thinking about this problem. So what is it going to be like when 7 billion, 8 billion people are now thinking about this new form of you know, human, human potential and expression? I mean, it's all stemming from the elimination of, we like to say fiat. Um, I like to say like, Bitcoin reintroduces economic consequence. And these things are like deeply related, right? We're talking about meaning and life and significance. And whenever your money is, you know, just stolen from you and is depleting and you're ever encouraged to keep working harder and harder for less of it, you know, you're, you just descend to nihilism. Now, like Bitcoin reattaches the economic consequences of life and actually says, okay, you have to you know, be your best. You have to put your money in the best places. Otherwise, you know, you are going to lose it. So that then says, okay, you have the potential for generational wealth, but you have to use it the best way fit. Like it, it I mean, I believe it, it, it will change people on a large scale and how we, you know, as a society, as how we interact with each other and, and how we, you know, uncover, you know, the new truths that will evolve in the world. I think it's really interesting, like you say five years, what's it going to be like in 40 years in the 2060s when people no longer, like, they, like you said, have to even worry about financial security and they can now evolve as beings into this higher level thinking of what their actual passions are. Um, what comes out of that? I, I mean, we truly, I mean, we see Bitcoin as this just, you know, completely profound, mysterious, probably, I mean, a lot of us see it as the most important thing in the history of humanity. And, but what is going to come from that? I think that's a, so, so fun to think about because it's, it's coupling this absolute truth with the power of human ingenuity, which has been fundamentally deprived of human beings over, you know, centuries through inflation and fiat. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I, I like to chuckle sometimes and think about, you know, future generation, kids, grandkids, whatever, looking back on these conversations and either being like, holy shit, they were stupid, like, you know, or they were <laughs> idealistic or like just they were just dumb as fuck or be like, wow, like, you know, they they caught a glimpse. They didn't see the big picture. Of course, there was a lot you couldn't predict, but like they were sniffing around and they, they caught a scent of it and, and they did what they could to, to bring it about as best, as best they could, you know? And so either we get, we get laughed at for being, you know, stupid idealists, or maybe we get some degree of praise for uh, seeing it before most and, and doing what we can to bring it about. And that's actually the last, last one I got for you, man, is, you know, figuring out how to, once you have such a profound internal restructuring and how maybe your intellect is brought to life by, by that restructuring, 
how does it change how you plot a course for your your life you know like how do you what do you end up striving for as a result of this reorganization you know professionally and all that kind of stuff professionally i mean i've decided to i have to spend my my time you know doing everything i can to propel it forward and help make sure that it you know comes about as quickly as possible and that i have a i have a hand in it and that that's a selfish you know motivation that's just because i feel like i want to be so close to this thing and i want to you know i want to help make sure that it's part of the world but how to navigate i mean that's an entire question like that's a deep question itself i would say you know you have to you have to spend the time and do the work to understand bitcoin from a first principles of how it works in the different layers diff all the different aspects of bitcoin from a technical perspective you have to understand the monetary history to understand the significance all of that stuff but once you get that you have to lower your time preference and look out and say okay yes the clown world is around us yes authoritarianism and totalitarianism is encroaching in all aspects of our life so we have this tool and how do we use this tool to best navigate the future? How do we ensure that we will still be around to see this future that we're talking about? I mean, to bring a full circle with the conversation around health, I mean, that's one of the things that profoundly changed me was I said, oh, wow, like this new thing has given my life, has reattached meaning to my life. I have to make sure that I'm around and healthy enough and, and like at the best form of my self to like experience it otherwise you know what is like what is existence if it's half you know half drunken or whatever you know it, it you're not truly you know it's like go like a day without sleeping then go two days without sleeping and you'll quickly notice like how everything in your life loses all meaning and so I don't know. I don't, have, I don't have a great answer for you, John. I'm kind of just rambling at this point. We've gone deep into philosophy. And now at this point, I'm, I'm kind of like, man, I need to take some time and just like really process everything we've talked about. But it's, it's, the, same, it's the same things. Yeah. I don't know. What would you say to that? Kind of how to orient oneself after integrating all of this fresh perspective. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ongoing process, man. That's that's why I reach out to people like you to have these conversations because uh, I know I, I have a very strong conviction that the, the direction is good and that what's emerging is is good and positive, both for me and for the broader world. But it's so unprecedented that, you know, I need to bounce ideas off off people to try to orient myself and figure out what the best way to approach and engage this thing is. You know, and I, and I think that, I mean, I think a lot of people feel this way, which is why there's such a hunger for these conversations and for these articles and for these ideas and stuff, because everyone's, you know, we, we, we grew up in clown world and we, we are all of our conditioning and all of our signals were, look, there's, there's still many great things in clown world, right? Like, and there's, 
when when purity breaks through clown world it's the best thing right when when real love and beauty and awe and flow and all these things they can still break through clown world and that's that's almost what sustains you through it it's like oh my Mm -hmm. god like it's so fucked up but there's still enough beauty in it that it's still worthwhile and i think maybe all we're trying to do is open up the floodgates for more of that to break through and persist and not have such a hard time cutting through the noise of clown world, right? Turning down, you know, the conditioning and the signals of clown world and turning up the, the ability for those magic moments, for lack of a better term, those magic experiences, those magic emotions and feelings to emerge and propagate and amplify and be shared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think, we're the generation that 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 has to try to relieve ourselves of the conditioning that we've been in because like sometimes i laugh man i wonder like how we came out of it at all because like the education that we got was like they're gonna be horrible our, our grandkids are gonna be <laughs> fucking horrified about the education that we got you know and how it was delivered and the content of it all that kind of stuff i mean it's gonna be so much better in, in their era, it's going to be so much more customized. It's going to be so much, it's going to place so much more emphasis on, on things and ideas and principles and experiences that actually matter, you know, and it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. I can easily see doing something in education later in my life, but, um, but, you know, somehow we managed to poke our head up through, you know, the, the clown world and realize that, that things aren't necessarily uh, as they should be. And now we have this amazing tool to help enhance that perception of clarity and then also help to construct uh, a more meaningful and a more intentional life. And I think the, you know, the, the big question is like, well, what does that mean? Because we weren't really, we got a glimpse of that in certain cases, but we, the, the, the landscape is new now. And so what are we to populate the landscape with? And, and how do we structure our own internal systems of value and meaning such that it manifests the best possible life for ourselves and for the people that we interact with? And, uh, you know, so long-winded way of saying, I don't really know. Uh, for me, you know, the process is sufficient right now. Like, I, I know certain things, you know, like, partner and family and, and environment and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how many Bitcoiners just want to get married, have kids and live somewhere out in the country where, you know, they're independent off grid. I mean, it's, it's everyone, pretty much everybody wants that. (laughs) Exactly. So like, I don't mean that, like the, the, those sort of details are very clear, but let's just say you're in that spot. Well, what then, you know, is it, is it just, you know, to raise a loving, healthy family in perpetuity or are there, are there other ambitions uh, or other things that are worthy of your dedication and, and your conviction and your meaning and that kind of stuff? So I think we're all figuring it out. And uh, I, I think we're doing a pretty damn good job, all things considered. I mean, Clown World certainly uh, plays with your emotions. And mm-hmm. I think all of us are going to mature. If we're not consumed by it, we're all going to mature a tremendous amount over the next five to 10 years because we're going to have to figure out how to refine and mold ourselves into people that can optimally maneuver that landscape. And it's, I think it's going to be so unprecedented that the uh, emotional retooling, let's say, is going to be 
challenging and, and difficult. And it's going to require like, you know, we're really going to have to bring to bear uh, some of the more fundamental strengths, I guess, deep down in us to become the people that are most capable at maneuvering that. And that's going to be a shitty process a lot of the time because that type of change is, is often uncomfortable. But if we make it through, <clears throat> I think we end up, well, I think we end up being very different people and even more capable at uh, extracting and extracting wisdom from experience and then also propagating wisdom that we've derived into our families and our lives and, and the broader culture. And that's all I, I mean, that's, that's all I got. Yeah. So I'll try not to go on for too much longer, but it's interesting that we're at this late stage of, well, I, I, I'm saying it's late stage. It may not yeah, be late stage. <laughs> um, it's late stage fiat, maybe not late stage clown world. Um, and our relationship with social media and digital media, right? So we're on, on Twitter, which is the way that Twitter is architected is, is, is like a very low time preference or sorry, high time preference. It's like driven around engagement and quick feedback and impulse and sort of monetizing your attention. Right. And so if we're looking 10 years down the line or five years down the line and we're saying that, okay, we emerge out of this somehow miraculously, uh, maybe with a little help of the divine, we did, right? For whatever reason, we were able to uncover and see this truth about Bitcoin with our shitty education systems, okay? What is our relationship going to be like then with these new tools that we have? What is our relationship with social media going to be like? Is it going to reflect the low time preference and the money and in, in ourselves through our digital experiences? Or are we going to, you know, rehash the same problems that we're in right now? Hmm. so very yeah very i'm interested in the answers to those questions <laughs> Me <laughs> i too, guess we'll John. find out i guess we'll find out one way or the other um but man this has been great thank you for uh taking the time to to have a chat with me and and, and wrestle with some of these ideas i know they're not uh necessarily the easiest ones to articulate or, or dance around but i appreciate you you know helping me do so I appreciate you having me on. Uh, to be honest, I was a little nervous because you didn't give me anything to talk about. So I was like, man, okay, I'm just going in blind. And then we, then we ninja launch it. And I was like, oh my God. I was like getting in the shower whenever you first texted me, like, hey, you hopping on? I was like, okay, we're going. Yeah, man. Well, that's, you know, that's the best way to make it authentic, right? You want to, you want to see what really comes. I find when you, you know, everyone has their own process, of course, but when you, when you determine beforehand what you think a conversation should be about, it ends up not being, uh, not being that great. But you know, when you let it just unfold as it should, I feel like it's, uh, it usually works out. So, um, we'll have to do this. We'll have to do this again sometime, man. I know we're both going to wrestle with these ideas a lot over the next six months. So maybe we pick it up then. And after the conference sometime, well, are you going to be at the 2020? I will be there. Sweet. I will. We'll, we'll hang out then and, and maybe chat more about this stuff, uh, face to face. Let's do it. I'd love to, John. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. You too. See ya.
I'm